Well, hello again. Uh, I'm really glad to be with you. Just want to share a little bit about what's going on in our life together. Not announcements, but more reminders. And so the first reminder is this. Fall groups, uh, for the most part, begin this week. This week, and so we want to invite you to be in a group. This is not the only time that you're going to hear this uh, from me or Steph today, and you might even get bombarded with more text messages this afternoon to make sure that you are in a group. So we have Alpha on Monday nights, a midday Bible study on Wednesdays, a women's prayer group on Thursdays, a ruthless elimination of hurry group on Thursdays. What else am I forgetting? A Galatians Bible study on Thursday, and so our goal is to see everybody in a group. And, and here's the deal. Even if you feel like your group leader knows that you're in their group, pretend like we're dumb, because we are as group leaders, and so make sure you sign up on the sign-up form. And the reason we do that is all of those things that we used to do in a more organic, loosey-goosey way, in this season of distance, we have to do in a more intentional way and a more organized way. And so uh, please be part of that. There's going to be a student huddle kicking off uh, in October, which we're excited about, and a handful of other things. So let me look at, it's always dangerous when it's Kyle's turn to do announcements, but Steph is preaching today. So... Um, we are going to have another baptism service, Lord willing, outside uh, on the 27th, the last Sunday of this month. And so we have about, we have two people getting baptized, we have a couple people reaffirming their baptism, we have one baby being baptized. We would love, uh, if God's doing something in your life and you've been baptized previously, we practice something called re reaffirmation of baptism, which is just not redoing your baptism, but kind of recommitting to what God did in your life in baptism in the first place. But if you've not been baptized, please, 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 please get into the inflatable hot tub that we bought on Amazon so that we can baptize you. So that'll be on uh, the 27th outside. Um, and then in October, we are going to begin a phased reopening of our children's ministries. So we were with the oversight team this week, and we've decided we're going to do a phased reopen of children's ministry starting in October. Uh, so take a look at your email when it comes this week. If you're not getting the reconnect email, and here's what I've learned, you actually have to read email to know what's in an email, right? So, um, uh, so if you're not getting the reconnect and reading the reconnect, please sign up on that. Uh, d direct message us on any of our social media platforms. Uh, there's a button or even at the back, there's little cards that say, hey, and if you give us your email, we'll add you to that list. It's just a key way that we kind of hold ourselves together in this season. All right. Well, good morning. Uh, welcome to those of you in the room. Welcome to those of you online. Um, I'm excited to be with you this morning, excited to be able to open God's word with you. Uh, last week, as Kyle and I were talking about what his week would look like with a shorter week and two weddings and a baptism, um, I just really sensed the Lord kind of leading and guiding and saying, uh, step up, step in. And so um, I said, I'll, I'll preach this week. I feel like the Lord has something for me to share with our church. And so I'm happy to do that. So I'm excited to be with you. We're going to be in Acts 2, uh, verses 42 through 47. Um, I'm just going to pray for us, and then I'll, I'll read the scripture, and we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would be with us today in this place, and for those who are with us online. I pray that we would have ears to hear your voice, um, that we would be free from distraction, that we would be... Um, just so present with your spirit, that we would be in step with your spirit. I pray, Father, that the words that I speak today would be um, from you. And so, Father, I just pray that this time 
would be one that's edifying and building up um, for your body. And I ask these things in your name. Amen. So, um, like I said, we'll be in Acts 2 this morning, um, verses 42 through 47. Um, And we've been kind of touching on this passage. Kyle touched on it last week. I'm going to touch on it from a different perspective um, again today. Uh, But it's one that we're just sensing a lot that the Father has for us as a spiritual family. So it says, verse 42, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions, shared money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, um, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Uh, Those of you who have been in our house um, know that I kind of have a thing for Hobby Lobby signs. Um, When Aaron lived with us, we had a young man who lived with us for a year who just was kind of in a transitionary phase in his life. Um, He became part of our family. Um, One of his, you know, most delighted jobs was helping Kyle schlep up all of my fall decorations and then all my Christmas decorations and all my Valentine's decorations and all my spring decorations. (laughs) There's nothing like someone besides your spouse looking at you with a little bit of concern in their eyes about the amount of things you have in your basement to add some conviction. But a lot of our signs are from Hobby Lobby, and a lot of them have words on them. So if you haven't been in our house and you've walked around Hobby Lobby, you've seen the signs, right? The calligraphy with the, um, you know, it is well with my soul, trust in the Lord with all your heart, those kinds of things. And I'm not sure if it's just because I'm a sucker for Hobby Lobby or if it's because I maybe just need a little more reminder of what is true, but we have a lot of these signs. And the one that I really remember Kyle and I picking out with a very specific intent is a white one with gold writing that has um, Acts 2.42 on it. And we bought it um, to put in our dining room. We had just moved into the, ha- the parsonage, the church house, and we knew we wanted, we had a heart for hospitality. We knew we wanted people to be in our home. We knew we wanted that to be a way that we did ministry. And so we kind of, we bought that sign and we said, okay, we're going to kind of put this as just kind of a prayer over our dining room into our dining room. It still hangs in our house today. But looking back on that moment from today, I realized how little we knew then. So we, we knew we wanted to use hospitality. We knew like eating meals together was important. We knew being together was important. But there was a lot that we didn't know about what it looks like to actually be the people of Jesus, to actually be a spiritual family. And so that's one of the things that we want to talk about today. I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the rhythm of life that we see the early Christians engaging in, this rhythm of gathered church, which is what we are today, and scattered church um, when we meet together in homes. It's about this rhythm of life that creates spiritual family, develops disciples, and advances the kingdom. And so we want to look at how the early church did this and then talk about some ways that maybe some things that keep us from doing it and then ways that we kind of want to see us as Regen live into this over the next um, year to five years. So this rhythm of life that the early church lives out, as described by Luke here in Acts 2, is one of coming together as the gathered church. That's what we are today. Um, We're here in this room together. Some of you are joining us online. Um, But it's kind of this idea of coming together in one big group, having a shared worship experience um, that's maybe more kind of 
there's something happening up front that we're all participating in um, versus then they were also going out as the scattered church. And so that's where they were meeting in homes, sharing these meals together, things like that. So for at least, you know, around the last hundred years, the American church has primarily been a gathered church, meaning the, the highlight, the pinnacle of church life is Sunday morning. So that's what we're, our attendance has been driven. Come on Sunday mornings, come to Sunday school, come to the service. You know, some churches have adult Bible fellowship, things like that. But it's that idea of being together in the same place on a Sunday morning. And I think, you know, as often we do in culture and in the church, they swing to one side. So we're over here in the gathered church, and that's the highlight of everything. But soon you discover something's missing, right? Like that there's, we want a little bit more than that. We don't want to just necessarily see people on Sunday. I think we are hungry to know people and to be known. And so, you know, I, and according to my memory, I think it was in the 90s or early 2000s, small groups became a really big thing. So then churches were really pushing. Everybody had to have these small groups, these book studies and things like that. And I think that's a good nod in the direction of the scattered church. It's a, it's a good nod in trying to move into that small group setting, letting people connect. The problem is, I don't know about you, but I've had some really uncomfortable small group experiences, whether that's a school project, a work project, and church. You know, it only takes one person who wants to just ramrod their opinions down everyone's throat and, and kind of monopolize the whole time for it to be really uncomfortable. And so I think we found that it's, it's hard to control the outcomes of a small group. Um, and so from what I can see, then the church really focused back on the gathered church, we have a little more control. I don't know if we feel like we have very much control in this season of our life, because technology seems to always be kind of working against us, but in a sense, we have a better opportunity to, um, you know, we can kind of control what happens up front, we can polish our message and make sure it's really great, we can make sure you have really comfortable seats when it's not COVID time, we can have good coffee in the lobby, you know, there's a lot of things about that that we can control the experience of, and so the gathered church kind of became the highlighted part again. But as we look at Acts here, the early Christians, they don't seem to be bothered by awkwardness or discomfort. Um, they seem to be pressing in to this rhythm of, of gathered and scattered. So as we look at it, we see in verse 42 that it's almost a thesis statement to this section. It kind of highlights for us all the things that the early Christians were doing in this season. Um, they're devoting themselves um, to the apostles' teaching. They're fellowshipping together. They're having meals, including communion. So they're just eating regular meals, but they're also having the Lord's Supper, and they're praying. And as Kyle mentioned, they aren't necessarily spending each morning, you know, reading their Bible and having uh, Instagram-worthy coffee photo time with Jesus. Um, I'm sure that some of that was happening, but a lot of what was happening, as is described here, is this community-wide, like, scattered but together practice of following Jesus together. Um, the early Christians didn't have scripture yet. Um, they only had the Old Testament that they had memorized, and then what they were actually gathering to do was to hear the apostles who had been with Jesus teaching them about what it meant to follow Jesus and, and telling them directly, these are the experiences they had, these people who had lived with Jesus, walked with Jesus, um, you know, eaten meals with Jesus. When we talk about discipleship here at Regen, we um, often use the word apprenticeship to describe what discipleship should look like. And that's what we, that's the heart of what we want to do, right? We want to walk the way Jesus would walk and, and talk the way Jesus would talk. Um, I'm a pretty concrete person, so sometimes that feels hard to do. 
Um, it feels hard to grasp the Jesus that's in Scripture and, and live that in my everyday life in a consistent manner. Um, but these apostles uh, were teaching the people exactly how to do that well because they had been with Jesus. And so when we kind of press into that lifestyle of looking around us and saying, who in my life is, is living a life like Jesus would live, as close as I can tell from Scripture? I want to walk with them. I want to learn from them. And then I want to bring other people along, and I want to teach them how to live like Jesus and to walk like Jesus. When we can do that, um, we are continuing on the legacy of faith that these apostles and these early Christians started. And I think that's just such a cool opportunity that we have to continue to on, continue on that line of faith and that line of discipleship when we live faithfully into that. So as we look back at the passage, as I was preparing for this sermon, um, one of the things that you would do if you were kind of doing traditional Bible study is you would look at these verses and you would circle all the words that you see repeated. And what immediately stuck out to me was words of community. So words, all, they, together, and then like meal and Lord's Supper, these words are repeated multiple times in just five verses. The section really highlights this idea of living life together. Um, and there's so much more going on in this passage than just amazing hospitality or really nice dinner parties. They are actually sharing life together. Now, one of the kind of criticisms or concerns that we hear about this passage is, is this describing like socialism or communism? Like what, what is this? There's sometimes kind of a, a resistance to the style of, of life that's described here as it talks about that they shared all in common and shared with everyone who was in need. But again, if we think of ourselves as a spiritual family, we can look at this as a way of how do we help one another within our spiritual family? How do we help provide for those needs? And so one of the things that I've just been really struck by, um, Kyle and I led the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry book, uh, led a group on that in the spring, and there's another one going on this fall. But one of the things he talks about is kind of decluttering your life and getting rid of stuff and borrowing stuff from other people. And so Kyle and I have really been kind of trying to press into that. We did a teeny bit more yard work this year than usual. And by a teeny bit, I mean a teeny bit. Um, but we tried. And so we needed a shovel because <laughs> we didn't have a shovel. Um, and so we called Zach and Jenna, which I think it's still in our garage. So if you guys are looking for your shovel, <laughs> we got it. Um, but we said, hey, yes, yeah, there is. We said, hey, do you guys have a shovel we could borrow? It seems silly for us to buy a shovel to plant two plants. Um, and they said yes, and, and so we got it from them. And, and one of the, the ideas behind this is that if, as a family, we can share resources. So in a functional family, if you need something, your family members are going to give it to you or help you with it if they can at all do that, right? So if you, if you run into maybe a need financially or maybe you just need to borrow something, they're going to say, sure, go ahead, borrow it, and then be a better family member than we are and return it right away instead of holding on to it. Um, but... That then can free up our resources to help other people. And so that, I think, is the point here of the sharing together. It's not so that we can solve all the world's poverty. It's so that we can care for one another as a spiritual family, and that when we don't buy a shovel, that frees up money that we can give for other things. So it's also not about freeing up the money so that we can hoard more wealth and have more stuff for us. It's saying, okay, if we don't need to spend money on this, then maybe we can have that money for something else the Lord really wants us to use that for. So this idea of kind of spiritual family does fly in the face of our American independence and kind of the idea that we should just be able to, like, provide for ourselves and take care of ourselves. 
but it is the best way to develop a family culture, to say, let's come along together, let's live life together and share what we have. The early Christians also were attending temple together, so they weren't just scattered, they were also gathered. Um, Most of these early Christians were Jews who believed that Jesus was the Messiah, and they had no church to gather in. There weren't churches at this point. And so what they did was they would attend the temple, and it honestly says daily. And that caught my attention as well, because I think for us, sometimes, man, Sunday morning feels hard. I mean, we we joke that during uh, pre-record season, one morning, we did go to Cleveland and have brunch while y'all were watching church at home. Um, And... It was amazing. We looked at each other and said, this is why people don't go to church, because brunch is awesome on Sunday mornings. Um, But I think there's this idea that um, they were going daily. They were making it such a huge commitment. And not only were they going daily to the temple, but then they were also going to each other's homes and meeting together. And so I want to just kind of throw up on the screen um, some different times where um, this is the church met in the the houses. And so, as you can see, it's house to house, house to house, Cornelius' house, Mary's house, Jailer's house. There's like five or six more that aren't on there. Um, But there's we see this pattern where not only were they gathering together in the temple, but they were scattering into homes, and that this rhythm gave them the power to, to build disciples, to build a spiritual family. I think sometimes we think to make a disciple is just to, to give them information. Like, if people just knew the Bible a little better, if they just knew theology a little bit better, if they maybe just were, like, more regular in their church attendance, maybe if they came to, like, Sunday school, that then they would be able to be good disciples. And the reality is we see disciples being made in daily life and in living life together. And disciples are made within spiritual family. And so that's something that we kind of just want to keep putting in front of us is this rhythm of gathered and scattered lets us build disciples and advance the kingdom. And there's so much power in that. So there are four barriers I want to talk about today that I think keep us from being part of the scattered church. And honestly, maybe the gathered church too. Um, The first barrier is busyness. Um, the early believers seem to spend most of their time together. So as we said here, you know, we're seeing them in the temple and then in homes and kind of spending most of their days together. This pattern, at least to me, indicates that their faith came first. It looks as if their days were, were centered, the center of their days was gathered time together in the temple and then scattered time in homes and then whatever else filled in the gaps of what they needed to have happen in their days. I think most of us live our lives with work at the center, our busy calendars at the center, our kids' activities at the center, and then we kind of like squeeze Jesus in in the spots that we have room for him. And so um, I think that one of the ways that we really struggle as a church in America is we are so busy and our schedules are so full, and sometimes it's good things. Like, we need to work, so that's that's a good thing. Sometimes it's our biological families. They just require a lot from us. And so there's a lot of like birthday parties or family holidays, and that makes it hard sometimes to engage with church. But if you, one of the things I want to ask you to do for this fall is to think of what's one thing you can say no to that would give you the time to be in a small group or to connect um, in a smaller group with our, our spiritual family. So that's one of my invitations to you is just what is one thing? If you really can't figure out even one thing that you can say no to, I really want to encourage you to join the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry book study because I think it will help you. Um, you need help, yeah. I'm like, I was thinking, like, if you can't say no to one thing, there's probably a bigger thing going on there that you might want to look at. 
And so I would just encourage you to do that. It was, it's challenging. It's hard. Kyle and I did it and have tried to lean into it, into practicing Sabbath and some other things that have made our life great, but it's hard to do, and it's hard to have the discipline to, to make those changes and to make those choices. Um, but ultimately, as the followers of Jesus, we want to see Jesus continually moving more into the center of our lives. We want to be moving him more into the center and um, putting other things to the edges instead of the other way around. So the first barrier is busyness. The second barrier is individualism, and I kind of hinted about this earlier, but as Americans, we're all about our rights and our privacy, and if you had any doubt about that, I'm sure you don't now, because in COVID world, everyone has a lot of feelings about their rights and their privacy. Um, as Americans, we're self-made. We don't want to owe anything to anyone, and we don't want anyone to owe us anything. Uh, this individualism, individualism, though, can be a stronghold that threatens our churches and our spiritual families. Uh, it's hard, you know, if you think within a family um, unit, if you have one person who's always thinking about themselves, and if, if you think of that person as your spouse, don't elbow them right now. Um, but if you and your family unit have someone that it feels like everything is all about them all the time, you know that it's hard to be in community with them. It's hard to engage in real relationship with them. It's hard to get to know them when it feels like no matter what I do, it's always going to be about them. And when we think about uh, who Jesus called to be his disciples, he didn't call 12 men who were all exactly alike. In fact, some of them would have been like mortal political enemies. They would have, one worked for the government collecting taxes, another was a zealot who wanted to destroy the government. Um, and so as you look at Jesus, he brings this group of diverse people and says, hey, follow me. And in following him and in becoming his disciples, they became a spiritual family. And through that, our world today is different because of, of what happened through them. So the first barrier is busyness. The second is individualism. And the third barrier is pride. And pride, whether conscious or unconscious, can look like us judging others, um, finding them wanting, therefore deciding that they don't have anything to teach us or to contribute to our lives. Um, I think sometimes for the younger among us, we are quick to let people on Instagram who have beautiful lives tell us how to live our life. You know, there's influencers who will tell you, like, what shirt they're wearing and where they bought it and what makeup they're wearing and where they bought their couch and what, you know, and we, we follow after that. But when there are real people around us who we disagree with or who we just struggle with, we dismiss them out of hand and we don't want to hear anything that they have to say. I think for maybe some of the older among us, um, looking for experts and people who um, really know their, their stuff and can, can give you expert opinion and, and, and maybe discount younger people around you who you disagree with their political views or maybe the way they're living their life. Um, in, in, Second Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 26, Paul teaches on the importance of every single believer and the role that they play within the body. He highlights the fact that even diversity of ethnicity, he's talking about Jews versus Gentiles, and diversity um, of economic status, he's talking about slaves versus freemen, um, that we are one body and we need one another. And I want to look specifically at verses 18 through 26. He says, but our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can never say to the feet, I don't need you. 
In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we close with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put together such extra care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. When we allow pride to control our actions, when we allow pride to put up walls against other people, um, when we don't allow other people to speak into our lives, we miss out on so much that God has for us. Um, We are not functioning in the way that he created us, and we lose some of the power that we have in being part of the body of Christ. Um, So the fourth barrier I want to talk about here is sin. And I know that I talk about sin a lot in response time. I think it's because um, I've had the privilege of having people come and talk to me about private sin that they've maybe not told anyone about. And as I've seen the power that that sin loses over them, the freedom that they have as they come and talk to me about it, it makes me really passionate about saying sin is one of the biggest barriers to our community life together. Because if you're struggling with a private sin, with sexual addiction, pornography, alcoholism, binge eating, deception, like a habitual pattern of lying, uh, you will struggle to find community. You will struggle to connect with people because that sin can have such power over us. Um, Kyle and I were walking the other night, and they just repaved Sabrina. And this is his illustration. I totally stole it from him. But um, he was... Sabrina Lane, our road. Sorry, they repaved our road. (laughs) Kyle says, poor Sabrina. It's a road, not a person. Um, So we were walking out on Sabrina Lane, our road here in the allotments, and they put new blacktop down, and then they came through and blew out all the stones and stuff from the edge, and then this machine came and sprayed tar along the edges to seal it. And as we were walking, we were kind of looking at it, and Kyle was like, man, that was so gross. Like, watching all that like dark, thick, sticky stuff come out of that machine. It was just so gross. He said, it reminds me of sin. And I said, yeah. And I mean, even more, that smothers you. Like that stuff smothers us. And so when we have hidden sin in our life, unaddressed sin, that sin can smother our opportunities for community. And so I would say in this moment, if you feel incredibly lonely, if you feel unknown, if you feel isolated, it would not hurt to at least just ask the Father, is there some sin in my life that's keeping me isolated and um, suffocating under the weight of it? Um, and if, if there is, or if you already even know there is, confess that sin. Name it to the Father. Confess it to him. Pray for the strength to name it to someone that you trust, because I think there's even such power and grace to say to someone, listen, I've been struggling with this thing. It has a lot of power over me. Would you pray with me? Um, I want to I confess it. I want to make this right. And the freedom and joy that can come from that repentance, from that confession, and even the restored and renewed relationship, there are not words to describe how amazing that can be. And so I want to, um, I just want to encourage you to do that, to find freedom and to find joy. Um, so now that we've looked at these four barriers, where do we go from here? Uh, How do we move forward to grow as a church that has a powerful rhythm of scattered and gathered? Um, This COVID experience has helped us highlight, like, there is something special about the gathered church. It's good to be back together with you guys. Like, it's good to see your faces even behind masks. 
It's good to have shared experiences. Um, so we're so thankful for that. But this time has also helped us look at ways we can grow the scattered church. How do we lean into being scattered when like maybe we can't be in small groups in the same way or maybe more people can be part of small groups because they're on Zoom. Um, so we're really trying to look into new and unique ways to be the gathered and the scattered church. Um, so first of all, we're going to look at how can we incorporate the scattered church into our life right now. Yeah, I think Kyle's coming up, but he was not. We're just part together. So the first way you can do that is by joining a small group. That's what Kyle said. We'll be talking about that again. But if, if are you there? It's, like, it's what I said. What? I was just. I was, here I am. I was making a face. Like I was making a face as if to say. I said this. There it is. There so it is. yeah. So um, join a small group, um, invest in relationships. I would just encourage you if you've had a really bad small group experience and therefore you are saying. I don't want to do this because it's uncomfortable and it's awkward. You know what? Like, Jesus can still use uncomfortable and awkward. And so I would encourage you, lean in, step in, do so with an open mind, with an open heart. Let the Father see what he's going to do in your life. Yeah, we used to tell our high school students, awkward is awesome. Is it? No, but yes. <laughs> you know? so, growth happens maybe? Growth happens. In it, yeah. Um, what can you do? So that's for this right now, join a small group. What can you do in the next year? Do you want to talk about this or should I? Sure, I'll talk about it. So we're not sure what COVID will bring when it combines with cold and flu season. We're hoping, you know, somehow miraculously maybe it won't get worse. But especially if it does, one of the things we'd encourage you to do is find a family or two that you would feel comfortable being around um, and, and have them over on Sunday morning. You have our permission to do this. Have them over on Sunday morning. Watch the service together. Eat a meal together. Talk about what God's teaching you through the sermon. Let your, especially of littles, let your kids play. Um, we feel like this is an awesome opportunity to lean into the scattered in that way. Let us know if you're doing that because yeah. we'd love to like even hear from you how it goes, Provide what you've your learned. Support. Yeah, support you in that. Yeah, and this is this version of like just suggesting what if you met in a home with a few other families, had a meal, watched a live stream, is very different than what I wanted to do. What I wanted to do was enter September and cancel in-person gatherings and make you do that. And then it I still said, could happen. <laughs> um, but we really, a couple families in our church did that uh, through the spring and really said that it just brought so much depth to their relationships. Be, and it also kind of made it easier to wrangle their kids as they had intentional conversations around the sermon and those kinds of things. So if it does, as Steph said, if COVID does create some sticky situations, we may end up moving in that direction too. So, But we'd at least encourage you to be open to the idea. And, and so that's kind of what we're doing with this series, by the way, is kind of like naming frontiers that we sense God is calling us to pursue. And so one last week was becoming a church that transforms. This one is becoming a church that gathers and scatters. And we're kind of doing that in terms of what does it look like this week? What does it look like in about a year? What does it look like in five years? And in five years, we really want to become not a church with small groups, but a church of small groups. We want to become a church functioning on the basis of something we call missional communities. So what is a missional community? I think I have a cute definition. Uh, missional communities are outward-directed spiritual families that have the expressed intention to reach a targeted neighborhood, targeted neighborhood or network. Uh, missional communities often meet in homes and are led by an extended spiritual family, which means people from at least two different biological families who share a call to reach a certain target. What we would love to see at some point is 
everyone in our church in a missional community. And I, I, the reason I say everyone every time is because I'm trying to stress that I mean everyone. Okay? I'm not saying I want 20% of our church leading missional communities. I want everyone in our church leading missional communities. We want missional communities reaching my neighborhood, reaching your neighborhood, reaching a network of people, maybe reaching people at your kid's school, and you're doing that with another family. And I know this is really vague and really new, and over the next year, you're going to hear us talk more and more about this, because sometime in 2021, we want to see some missional communities launch. So we have a video from friends of ours in Fort Wayne who will kind of share with you a little bit about what missional communities will look like. I'm Levi Francois. I'm Allison Francois, and this is Emberly Francois. I'm Zach Zeno. I'm Brian Menzie. I'm Shandy Menzie, and this is Georgia Menzie. And, and we are a family on mission. So we became a family on mission a couple years ago. Shandy and I found out we were pregnant, and so we needed to move out of an apartment into a house. And we looked at a lot of houses, but there was one in particular that was just a quarter mile down the street from Levi and Allison. And so before we bought the house, we met with them, and uh, we just said, hey, if we buy this house, it's because we want to be a family on mission with you guys. And they said they were all in, and so we bought the house. We knew who God was sending us to just because of where we were at in our lives. Um, we already had uh, a calling towards young adult people of peace in our workplaces, um, different friends that we had and different friend groups, and that was really where we felt like we were being called. And I think to add to that, part of what just made it so clear what God was saying was that the people that we were already hanging out with were already welcoming us and they were serving us. It wasn't feeling like we were forcing them into our environment. They just were very adamant to just want to be with us, which made it just very clear, I think, that I could speak for all of us, that God was just like, these are who I'm giving you, um, these people, and this is who you're going to spend your time with. In regards to inviting people over to our home, um, we would do big events, just big organic events, three of which included Bachelorette Mondays, um, we did a Friendsgiving, uh, and we also would have a fun weekend at the lake. Um, and from there, we just that, that was kind of our way of casting the, casting the net wide and getting as many people into our home as possible. From there, we would have uh, continual family dinners on every Sunday night. And slowly, some people that were comfortable and were people of peace, they would come to the family dinners as well. So that's kind of how we went about inviting people. Yeah, so for our Sunday family dinner, um, we have our... our People kind of consist of uh, some people who are Christians and some people who are just people of peace at this point. Um, but we kind of take the first hour to everyone brings food and we, we cook a meal together and then uh, we clean up together. Um, and we just kind of go around and do sweet and sours, which is, you know, one good thing that happened this week and one not so good thing. Um, and then after that, we kind of go into a second hour of more um, spirit focus sort of stuff. Yeah, and during that second hour, usually that afternoon prior, we're all texting mm -hmm. each other and praying, just kind of asking God, like, what is it that you have for us tonight? Who's going to be there? Uh, what people of peace and what kind of where they're at? And so usually from that group text, 
one of us will speak up and say, hey, I'd like to lead maybe just a simple passage or a simple story about Jesus. And then one person shares that during the second hour. And then a lot of times we would split up guys and girls and just talk some really simple questions about, you know, what's going on in this passage? What do you like about it? What would be one thing to do about it? Uh, and then we try to pray at the end of that. Some of the challenges that we have faced on Sunday nights would be having young children and soon to be two more young children. <laughs> Um, but it's hard with babies and babies who are on schedules, um, being able to put them to bed or then be screaming during small group times, whatever that may be. A really massive challenge has also been uh, schedules, uh, specifically pertaining to school. Many of us on this couch uh, are in school or, or have been going through school during the time of, of uh, our family dinners. Um, but one thing that, that sticks out to me is the fact that even though we're busy and we feel like we have homework to do or whatever the case, um, it's still not a time or still not an excuse for us to uh, put Jesus and his workings um, on hold so that we can yeah. take care of mm -hmm. whatever else we need to take care of. One of the girls that has been coming for quite a while, um, she just asked us to pray for her for a moment where she just wanted to feel God's presence and just know Jesus was there and she's not a believer. Um, Turns out she came back the next week and was so excited to tell us about this moment where she felt God's presence and it ended up actually saving somebody's life. And that same night, her and her significant other who comes, also they both went out and they bought Bibles. She was yeah. so pumped that she was able to feel that. Yeah, from my point of view, um, God has really been showing me that the stories of the Bible um, don't have to be far off from us. and that those stories can be our stories as well. We're the Frenzies. I'm Levi Francois. I'm Allison Francois, and this is Emberly Francois. They're not done talking to us yet. We're the Frenzies. I'm Levi Francois. I'm Allison. They're still talking to us. There we go. Yeah, there we go. Um, missional communities, here's, here's just what I want you to know, and then I'm going to lead us into some response time. If, if you know me, you know I'm an idea guy. This is not an idea that I will get over. This is the direction that we're heading. So I want to, uh, one of the things we do here at Regen is we try to be wise builders. Jesus tells a story of two builders. Uh, one builds his house on a rock and another who builds his house on sand. And the one who builds his house on sand, when a storm comes, the house washes away. But the one who builds his house on a rock, the house stays firm. And Jesus says that the people who build their house on the rock are people who hear him speaking and respond. The people who build their lives on sand are the people who hear him but do nothing about it. There's revelation in both cases. There's God saying something in both cases, but only in one do we act on it. We want to be wise builders. We want to respond. And so actually, Pam, could you go back to those four things that stop us? I wonder, we're just going to take a minute. I'm going to actually invite the band to come and just play under for a minute while we pray. Which of those four stick out to you as a barrier uh, for your experience of scattered community? And let me add this. Anytime we start calling people into this and busyness comes up, they always say, I'm busier than people in the early church. That is not true. Because they lived in an era before a five-day, 40-hour work week. These people generally were slaves or poor, and so worked 12, 
14, 16 hour days, seven days a week. But what they centered their lives around was temple and home. And so I wonder which one of these is getting your attention this, this morning and how you might just be invited to agree with God that something is different. And so the band's going to play for just a brief moment, and then we're going to go into a time of communion together. I'll pray while they do that. Heavenly Father, thanks for speaking through Steph. And God, thanks for doing what you're doing to reveal the frontiers that we are chasing in this season. Thanks for the way it makes us uncomfortable. On the other side of our comfort zone is the transformation zone, so we want to meet you there today, Father. So as we look at each of these four, would you speak to us afresh? Amen.